Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for joining me. This is going to be episode number 30. Hope you enjoyed the previous episode, and I think we've got a good episode uh, for you here today. It's going to kind of conclude our remarks on some of the things that we've been talking about over the last couple episodes. And we're going to be getting into some uh, letters from John Adams and Abigail Adams. we got Abigail Adams basically kicking off the show, and she's really going to, you know, she's going to talk about something that I think is is pretty, pretty important to talk about, really. And it's just, it's really just a simple paragraph that she, uh, she wrote in a letter that, uh, had a particular meaning back in 1774, and I think it really echoes today. I really do. So we'll get into that. And, um, of course, we're, uh, broadcasting here on this podcast, but also on, uh, patreon.com slash podcasts with Roman. I've got a whole other podcast that I do over there. So if you want to join me on Patreon, you can. Not required, but I certainly appreciate it if you do. And, of course, always, you know, keep in mind as we do these podcasts, my, my old saying, you know, to understand today and tomorrow, we really do have to understand yesterday. That's 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 a big part of why I do this podcast. You know, very like I've mentioned before, a very common thing for people to think, well, you know, history was yesterday and so it's not important. Well, that's actually the exact opposite. It was yesterday, but it's very important. That's that's the reason why it's important is because it was yesterday. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's it was important because, you know, we have something to learn from that history. So because of that, I'm glad you're here to join me on this particular episode. Great to have you here. And so we're going to get straight into it today. We're going to get right to that history and and study this stuff. So let's uh, let's pick let's begin with Abigail Adams and her letter and uh, great uh, great point that she has to make as our first guest on this podcast. Let's do that right now. All right. Well, Abigail Adams is going to be the uh, the one to start off the program for us today, and she's going to be writing a letter on October the sixteenth, seventeen seventy four, to Mister Adams, John Adams, that is. So let's uh, read some of this letter, see what she has to say. Quote, I greatly fear that the arm of treachery and violence is lifted over us as a scourge and heavy punishment from heaven for our numerous offenses and for the misimprovement of our great advantages. If we expect to inherit the blessings of our fathers, we should return a little more to their primitive simplicity of manners and not sink into inglorious ease. We have too many high-sounding words and too few actions that correspond with them. I have spent one Sabbath in town since you left me. I saw no difference in respect to ornaments. But in the country you must look for that virtue of which you find but small glimmerings in the metropolis. End quote. You know, it's an interesting sentiment that she says here. I found this particularly striking. Quote, If we expect to inherit the blessings of our fathers, we should return a little more to their primitive simplicity of manners and not sink into inglorious ease. End quote. It's almost like she's speaking to us, isn't it? To the United States in the 21st century. She could very easily be speaking to us. If we expect to inherit the blessing of our fathers. It's a fascinating thought, you know. You could you could really stew over that for a very long time and discuss it amongst yourselves, uh, amongst your, your family and your friends. You know, we, we really want to have, or at least some of us, I, there, there are some in the United States who uh, seemingly want to live under a tyranny, but there are some people in the United States certainly that, that want to continue to live in freedom and be able to live their lives and have their families such as they do. In other words, they, they want to benefit from the freedom and liberty that we have inherited from our founding fathers, amongst others. 
Yet, there is this constant desire to change things. And I'm not talking about technology. I'm not talking about driving cars versus riding a horse. But change our manners, our virtues. Because she mentions both in this statement again. I mean, these you ever notice how that word virtue just constantly comes up? I think a few episodes ago, I, I, a few episodes ago, I mentioned that. I, I like count the number of times you hear the word virtue in this podcast from the letters of our founding fathers. Not from me, but from the letters. So she says it here, quote, If we expect to inherit the blessings of our fathers, we should return a little more to their primitive simplicity of manners, end quote. And then here, quote, But in the country, you must look for that virtue of which you find but small glimmerings in the metropolis, end quote. This really could be a letter written about today, couldn't it? I mean, without knowing that this is from Abigail Adams, without knowing that it was from 1774, I could have convinced just about anybody that this letter was written today. And it would sound exactly as it should, exactly as one would expect this letter to sound. And doesn't Abigail Adams have something to teach us here? Don't we have something to learn from her? Yeah, I think we do. You know, if we if we really expect to persist in our freedom and our liberty in this country, all the while trying to change the formula under which that freedom and liberty was one at so great a cost, I would say that it might it might be something to think about returning to their primitive simplicity of manners and to look for that virtue of which you find but small glimmerings in the metropolis. You know, it's it's um, something we should all take to heart and think about. The problem is, you know, is we don't think about this. We just kind of mosey along with our lives and, and the great rush that our lives have become without ever thinking about that. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. To understand today and tomorrow, you have to understand what happened yesterday. These problems that we face today have been faced before. There is nothing new to be seen here. I know people think that, um, well, a lot of people really do believe this, that the modern is an evolution. It's something that's never been seen before, but in reality it has. All of it has. Everything Everything that you see today has been seen before. Somewhere between today and 10,000 years ago, it has been seen. It's only an arrogance that we think that this is new. It's a, it's a great arrogance and misunderstanding of history, or a lack of understanding of history, I should say. But do be thinking about that. I, w- I would strongly suggest you think about that. Think about what Mrs. Adams is trying to convey here when she says, quote, We should return a little more to their primitive simplicity of manners and not sink into inglorious ease, end quote. What a, what a really wonderful statement from Mrs. Adams. She was a, she's a brilliant woman. I, I very much appreciate her advice that she's giving us on this, uh, on this podcast. And it really does cause me to think, I mean, if you, I really marvel at people who will hear something like that. They could read a paragraph like that and then just skip right over it and continue on reading without thinking about it. I read that paragraph and it stops me dead in my tracks and causes me to sit sit in my chair and just think, think on it for several minutes and to contemplate what she meant by that and how does that apply to us today. And then I'm struck by how how accurate a sentiment that is, not just of 1774, but of 2022. It is quite striking. And the wise man once said, you know, history repeats itself. And the wise man was, of course, correct, as the wise man often is. But let's continue reading this letter here. Quote, Mr. Cranch's last determination was to tarry in town unless anything new takes place. His friends in town oppose his removal so much that he is determined to stay. The opinion you have entertained of General Gage is, I believe, just indeed he professes to act only upon the defensive. The people in the country begin to be very anxious for the Congress to rise. They have no idea of the weighty business you have to transact. 
and their blood boils with indignation at the hostile preparations they are constant witness of. End quote. You know, it's um, it's very fascinating that we we arrive again at this state, this this you know, this this constant differing of opinions in some cases. And of course, uh, Mrs. Adams here is talking about Boston and General Gage, who is the military governor of Massachusetts. And as we know in prior episodes, he is in the process of building up military fortifications around the city of Boston. And the question is, is this to, is this a defensive operation or is it an offensive operation? And she's talking about, Mrs. Adams is talking about people becoming very anxious about this. And the reason why, because their instincts are correct. The, the, the people of Boston don't really know what to make of this in some cases, but I think their instincts are accurate. They know something is going on, something that is not defensive. There's something about what General Gage is doing that's offensive in nature. And I've made the contention before that what General Gage is doing is both defensive and offensive. I like, I, I gave you the example of Desert Shield and Desert Storm in 1990 and 1991. An off, a defensive operation followed by an offensive operation, and the one necessitated the other. You had to have the defensive operation, Desert Shield, before you could launch Desert Storm. And that's exactly what General Gage is doing. General Gage is engaging an offensive operation eventually from a defended, for, defend, defended outpost, basically. He's creating a launching off point. And she mentions it here, quote, And their blood boils with indignation at the hostile preparations they are constant witness of, end quote. See, they, they, they know instinctively that there's some hostility intended here. This cannot just be defensive in nature. And when the government decides to get hostile, and keep in mind, again, you got to put this in perspective. This is their government at work here. This military governor, it would be, it's just like if a United States military general, if you're living in the United States, if you're in Europe, obviously, you folks who are listening over in Europe, you uh, replace that with your respective military commands. But in the United States, it would be just like if the United States Army dispatched a general to a city to basically be military governor of a region or a state, and then he began making defensive fortifications for the purposes of launching offensive operations. Now, picture that in your head. That's what these people are dealing with. This is their government doing this. This is their military doing this. This is not a foreign army, and this is not a foreign government. And when governments decide to get hostile towards their own people, they will often frame it as a defensive measure. We are defending something. We're defending the country. We're defending the people. We're defending democracy. Boy, isn't that said a lot these days. We have to defend democracy. Oh, democracy. We must defend democracy. Okay. Well, again, number one, the United States is not a democracy. It has never been a democracy. And I hope that it is never a democracy, ever, under any circumstance. This podcast is the place where democracy goes to die. Yes, I said it. Some people out there who don't understand history and have not read, don't understand the difference between a democracy and a republic, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, Roman, did he just say he wants democracy to die? Yes, I do. I want democracy to die for all time. I don't want democracy to ever live on any corner of this planet, ever, under any circumstances. Not on a national level, okay? Not on any kind of a national, or a state level for that matter, as far as government. Now, there are there circumstances in which a democracy is, is perfectly acceptable? Yes. And usually in some particular place where it's inconsequential. In other words, where the outcome really doesn't affect much of anybody. Because what is democracy? I've said it before. Some people are going to be confused. What is he talking about? Why does he hate democracy so much? Because democracy is a kind of tyranny. Wait, what? Roman, what are you talking about? What do you mean democracy is a kind of tyranny? Think about it. If you really think about it, 
It is a, it is a type of tyranny. And I'm not going to get into a lengthy explanation about this because I've got a podcast episode that's going to go into that in some length. But I've, I've mentioned it before. And if you want to know the, the long-winded explanation of that, you're going to have to wait for that podcast episode. It's quite a ways away. It's not going to be any time in the near future. So you're just going to have to wait for that. But it, it is a kind of tyranny. And you don't want it. Believe me, you, you don't. Some people think they want democracy, and but believe me, you don't. You really don't. People people usually end up getting killed in democracies in, in really horrible ways. Or either either that or they, they get oppressed rather brutally. Um, so just um, let, let's just leave democracy in the ash heap of history to the extent possible and instead maintain the republic that is the United States. But anyway, getting back on track, you know, the, these governments... Governments, you know, can be nefarious, and the British government at the time of 1774 was very nefarious. You know, they were very much trying to compel the colonies to just do whatever the heck the king wanted them to do, or whatever parliament wanted them to do. So yes, the uh, the military begins, you know, setting up a, quote, defensive operation, but really they mean to be hostile. Gov- and governments do that from time to time. They may say they're trying to defend democracy. They may say they're trying to defend this or defend that, but really what they mean to do is attack the people and their freedom and liberty. Keep that in mind. So the next time the government comes out and says, oh, we're going to defend democracy, oh boy. Especially when they say, we're going to defend democracy, be very, that's when you should probably start being concerned. Because I'll tell you, I can speak for myself and say, whenever the government comes out and says, anybody in government comes out and says, we're trying to defend democracy, I just go, oh boy, here we go. This is how it starts. This is how the whole thing starts right here. Because I've read my history books, I know how this works. But keep that in mind, folks. You know, it's 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 no, it's nothing to, it's nothing to take lightly. Uh, some people just let it roll off their, you know, people just let it roll off their back, you know, this, well, the government says it's defending this, it's defending that, yeah, but what's it really doing? You know, gotta be, gotta be cautious. You know, they don't always do what they say they're doing. They'll say they're doing one thing, but they really mean to do a completely different thing. Okay, so now let's lead, read a letter here from, um... Mr. Adams, John Adams to Abigail Adams. This is going to be on October the 9th of 1774. Quote, I am wearied to death with the life I lead. The business of the Congress is tedious beyond expression. This assembly is like no other that ever existed. Every man in it is a great man, an orator, a critic, a statesman. And therefore, every man upon every question must shew his oratory, his criticism, and his political abilities. The consequence of this is that business is drawn and spun out to an immeasurable length. I believe if it was moved and seconded that we should come to a resolution that three and two make five, we should be entertained with logic and rhetoric, law, history, politics, and mathematics concerning the subject for two whole days, and then we should pass the resolution unanimously in the affirmative, end quote. So he's he's speaking to the, you know, the length of some of these arguments that get going in Congress because everybody feels the need to stand up and demonstrate their abilities as a statesman in this particular forum. And it just takes forever for that to take place. Seemingly forever. He's lamenting the length of time that is spent in debate at times, and I can certainly understand that. So, you know, even these men who were very accomplished and very brilliant in their time... Honestly, they were brilliant in any time. Uh, we, we would be fortunate to have these men leading uh, any country today, in my opinion. Or at least most of them. There, there were some, honestly, I could probably, probably do without, but there, there's certainly a great many that I would, I would like to see, you know, in charge of uh, some country to this day, especially the United States, uh, like a Samuel Adams, for, for that matter. That would be fantastic. Or, a, you know, a Benjamin Franklin, a John Adams. People, people such as them, uh, really, really brilliant folks, I, I think. So even these men who are very accomplished had their flaws. You know, I think they're a little too eager to prove their value, perhaps, or just trying to make their mark. There's nothing particularly wrong with that, except, again, it drags things out. Despite that, Mr. Adams still remarks upon their greatness. Quote, every man in it is a great man, 
End quote. And here's a little something extra from uh, Mr. Adams that I thought was fascinating. Quote, This day I went to Dr. Allison's meeting in the forenoon and heard the doctor a good discourse upon the Lord's Supper. This is a Presbyterian meeting. I confess I am not fond of the Presbyterian meetings in this town. I had rather go to church. We have better sermons, better prayers, better speakers, softer, sweeter music, and genteeler company. And I must confess that the Episcopal Church is quite as agreeable to my taste as the Presbyterian. They are both slaves to the domination of the priesthood. I like the congregational way best. Next to that, the independent, end quote. So he's talking about churches and religion and what what his preferences are. And why do I find this interesting? Oh my gosh, Roman, what in the world do you find interesting about this? Well, you'd be surprised. I find just about everything that these people wrote, not everything, but a lot of things that they wrote particularly interesting. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When George Washington is writing about his crops, I don't, I, I frankly speaking don't care. Uh, I find those to be boring and tedious, which is why I don't read them on this podcast. If you want me to, just leave me a comment and I, I might read one of those one of, the, one of these days. It's just a joke. Uh, I might read one of those letters about Washington and his crops. But, you know, shocking as this may sound, there was a diversity in the colonies at this time. Oh, yes, I said it. Some would think not. Come in and say, oh my gosh, did he just say what I think he said? He just said there was diversity in the colonies at this particular point in history. How dare you, Roman? How dare you, sir? Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, This concept that, you know, there there is a bizarre concept that, you know, everyone who quote-unquote looks the same, whatever that means, and by nobody looks the same, everybody looks different. Well, for the most part, unless you're like identical twins or something. But anyway, they think that everybody who looks the same is the same, or that there couldn't possibly in a, be, be any diversity in a room full of people who quote-unquote look the same. For all those people who are obsessed about looks, and there's there's a great many people out there who are obsessed with this, what people look like. And I find that particular behavior very disturbing, by the way. Very disturbing. And it's not true. Never has been and never will be. Uh, how, how else do you think Europe fought so many wars and were so disagreeable with each other for so long a time? It's because of diversity, that's why. Uh, they, they, they had these different ideas about how things should be, and they eventually they let their disagreements boil over into a childish kind of uh, disagreement and uh, a belligerent disagreement, and then they ended up killing each other. Instead of just, you know, hammering things out like gentlemen and uh, coming to some formal, you know, reconcilable agreement. But, you know, I find this diversity of religion fascinating because there was a lot of it in the colonies at the time between the Quakers in Pennsylvania and, you know, these, these Presbyterians that he's talking about. And then, of course, the congregational churches that, that John Adams is more familiar with back there in Massachusetts. And it's fascinating to me for another reason, too. These folks, they really did have these identities in their communities, Not just in the colonies, but also in the cities. But certainly the colonies had their own independent identity, and John Adams probably felt more comfortable back in Massachusetts. He probably enjoyed his time back in Massachusetts with his congregation and with his family, and he felt like that was his country, as he as he says so many times, right? And the people in Pennsylvania probably much preferred it in Pennsylvania rather than Massachusetts. And I like that. You know, states, colonies, you know, they're supposed to have their own identities, and I think a lot of times people... In the modern day, it's so easy for people to travel from state to state, but not just state to state, from country, or not from country to country, but across regions. So you can get from California to New York fairly quickly. I mean, obviously, if you fly by plane, you can get there in a few hours. If you drive by car, you can get there in a few days. And people move around a lot today. And I I think because of that, people tend to, they don't adapt to their local communities, and they don't adapt to their, their states and the state identities. They just kind of retain this identity, whatever it is that they have, and they don't ever acclimate to the environment, which is sad. And because of that, the states kind of lose over time this identity that they have, this personality. I think every state should have a personality. 
I really do believe that, and I think it's a good thing, because these different personalities are what make the United States, uh, historically, is what made the United States a great place. You know, if we don't have that diversity of thought, like these Presbyterians and these Episcopalians, whatever it is that John Adams is speaking here. So he talks about, you know, quote, that the Episcopal Church is quite as agreeable to my taste as the Presbyterian, end quote. This diversity of, you know, religion and thought has always made the United States a very interesting place, and I like that the states historically have had different personalities. I've mentioned Alaska before because it's so painfully obvious. you got this state that's flung out in the far northwest corner of the continent, and then you've got, you know, places far from it like Florida. Very, very different personalities in those two states, and and that's a good thing. And when we, when we try to make everything uniform across the country, and we, one state or one group of states tries to force their identity on every other state around them, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that the, some states should be trying to force their identity on everybody around them. And how do they do that? They try to do it by making everything a federal issue, by making the trying to let the federal government basically do everything, instead of letting the state governments do it. And that's the problem, isn't it? When we try to erase these state identities, we try to erase them from the map and replace it with some unified, tyrannical, single dictate that comes out of one city in the United States? No thank you. And for all you people out there that are trying to do that kind of thing to the extent you are, stop it. Stop being a child, okay, for five frickin' seconds. Go back and read a history book and understand why the states, like what John Adams is talking about here, had different identities. And why Pennsylvania was very much different from Massachusetts, and John Adams preferred it in Massachusetts. There's reasons for that, and they're good reasons. You know, John Adams doesn't have to appreciate the Episcopalian or the Presbyterian Church. He doesn't have to, and he shouldn't have to. At some point, he's going to go back to Massachusetts where he's happy, and that's going to, that's a good thing. And he shouldn't be trying to, you know, foist his, his religious preferences on the people of Pennsylvania, nor should they be trying to foist their religious preferences on Massachusetts. Of course, while he's a guest in Pennsylvania, he is going to visit these places. I mean, he says it right here, quote, This day I went to Dr. Allison's meeting in the forenoon and heard the doctor a good discourse upon the Lord's Supper. This is a Presbyterian meeting, end quote. He went there anyway. I'm sure he was invited. And out of respect, he went, even though he doesn't quite appreciate the way, the style in which they do things. He still respected the state identity of Pennsylvania, or the col- the colony identity of Pennsylvania at the time. Instead of just huffing and puffing and saying, we need to change this and we need to eliminate this. It, wouldn't that be a terrible thing if John Adams tried to do that? Take a lesson from John Adams, folks. You know, and let's, he, he mentions that in that letter, and he also mentions it in a diary entry. I'm going to read you. This is a diary entry from Sunday, October the 9th. Quote, Philadelphia, with all its trade and wealth and regularity, is not Boston. The morals of our people are much better. Their manners are more polite and agreeable. They are pure English. Our language is better. Our persons are handsomer. Our spirit is greater. Our laws are wiser. Our religion is superior. Our education is better. We exceed them in everything, but in a market and in charitable public foundations, end quote. So he's an equal opportunity guy. He gives credit where credit is due. He says their market is better and their charitable public foundations are better. But listen to all the other stuff. Seriously, listen to that. Quote, The morals of our people are much better. Their manners are more polite and agreeable. They are pure English. Our language is better. Our persons are handsomer. Our spirit is greater. And our laws are wiser. Our religion is superior. And our education is better. End quote. I, I absolutely adore this man. Why? Be, I mean, this is a diary entry after all. He didn't necessarily intend this for public consumption. And if he did... 
if 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 he knew this was going to be read out loud on a podcast broadcast around the world, I sometimes wonder what he would have thought about that. But some because some people could take this and make something out of it that it's not good. It's it's a good thing I'm doing this podcast and not somebody like that because I'm gonna what I'm gonna say about this is I absolutely enjoy this this paragraph and I think it's 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 a beautiful thing. Why? Because what I don't look at this as a bad thing. Some people could when somebody says that quote real, our religion is superior end quote. Do I have a problem with him saying that? No. I don't have a problem with him saying that. And his religion may may not be my religion. It may not be your religion. But I'm perfectly happy with John Adams thinking that his religion is superior. That's his opinion. And he's entitled to it. And obviously he thinks his religion is superior because he picked his religion. He picked the best one he could see, he could find, right? There you go. Some branch of Christianity. And these are all largely Christian people. But even within Christianity, you have all these different branches and all these different ways of doing things. It's a great diversity, even within the same broad, macro-level religion. Right? That's very representative of Western society, by the way. That even religion has options and choices and different versions appealing to different people. Isn't that very much the same as the Western economy? What's, what's typically defined the Western economy is this great abundance of options. Different things for different people. You got different flavors of this and different types of that and different colors of this, different colors of cars, different types of cars, different houses, different this, different that. It's a great, it's a great diversity of products. And it re- I think it really stems out of this religion that there's so many different branches of Christianity. It's, it's almost like a, it's a personality thing. People always like options, at least in the West, certainly. It's a very Western concept. Rather than sticking to, to, to one uniform thing, which, which, you know, it used to be the Catholic Church, right? For Christianity, of course, that eventually broke down into options. But I like that John Adams, he's got he's got his opinions about the education, the religion, and the spirit of his of his country, Massachusetts, that he seems to identify identify with so closely. And he really does believe that the way things are done in Massachusetts are far better than the way they're done in Philadelphia. Isn't that interesting? And this this really gets to that 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 concept. You know, he feels his country's better. You know, it's where he's from, and he is bound to that. And those principles of where he comes from. You know, and the the older that I get, the more I feel the same as John Adams does in this particular paragraph here. I feel like, you know, the place where I come from, the place where I live, it has a certain identity to it and a certain way of doing things that I just prefer over just about anywhere else. And I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about even a smaller group, a smaller community, a small the state in which I live, right? Not the country of the United States, but my actual state has an identity to it that I like, and I don't like the identities of these other states. I think the identity that I that, that my state has is, is superior. I really believe that. And in that regard, I'm very much like John Adams. And some people might think there's something wrong with that. How dare you, Roman? How dare you say that your state is superior to other states? Oh my gosh. What do you think? You're better than everybody? No, it's not about that. It's just about the way things get done. It has a certain personality to it, a certain way that people communicate and do business, and I like it. And it's not that there's anything wrong with the other states. It's just my preference. And other people are going to feel the same about their states. They're going to feel the same. Uh, you know, people are going to feel like uh, like California, for example. They're going to feel just, oh, California is wonderful. I, I like the way business is done here. And I like the way people communicate with each other and engage with one another. It's just, it's uh, far superior than any other state in the union. And I'm fine with that. I'll disagree with you, but that's fine. I don't, I don't live there. I'm happy that you like it in California. And that's a good thing. It's a good that you like it there, and that you that you found a state that you identify with, and you think is just they that things are done there just better than anywhere else in the country. That's fantastic. Just don't try to force it on the rest of us. And I and they would say the same to me. You know, Roman, whatever state you come from, don't try. I wouldn't try to force it on you. Like I like I said before, unlike some people, 
I want there to be 50 different state identities. I want there to be 50 different personalities, because that makes for a more interesting country. I don't want everything to be uniform and the same. But I do want to have at least one state where I can I can feel like I belong there. And uh, good news, we got 50 of them. There's bound to be one where I feel like I belong. But the, the more unified everything becomes, and the more uniform, I guess, is probably the better way. Not unified, but uniform. The more uniform and the more standard and the more regular everything becomes across the states, the less and less people are going to feel like they have a state where they belong. And I don't agree with that. I, I hate that concept. I absolutely hate it. And so would John Adams by the sound of it. You think he would be happy if everybody just tried to make all of the colonies like Pennsylvania and Philadelphia? No, he wouldn't. He, listen to him. He would not be happy in the least. Just like I would not be happy if everybody tried to make the United States like one particular state or one particular region of states. I don't like that concept. I hate it. I want the United States to be 50 different state identities. That's the way it was intended to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. And for Pete's sake, people, don't ever try to change that. And, there, you know, there's some folks over there in Europe who feel the same way. You know, they got the European Union over there, but they feel like perhaps, you know, my my country, you know, is is separate. You know, their country is, is, is different, and it should be different, and there should be different national identities so that people can feel like they, they, can, they can pick a place and they can live there that, that most closely identifies with them. And the more uniform that you try to make the European Union, the worse off everybody's going to be, and the less people are going to feel like they have a place that they can call their own. Is that why Brexit happened, for example? Uh, who knows? Uh, I'd leave that to the British people to to discuss that as to why it happened. But did, did that have something to do with it? Possibly. I don't get into modern political things, especially in, especially in Europe, and I don't really want to impose my opinion on the people of uh, Britain as to what I think about it. But could it have something to do with that? It could. So keep that in mind. You know, when you when you move to a state or when you pick a state where you want to live, try to find one that most closely approximates your feelings, your attitudes, and your beliefs, and stay there and make it work. And don't try to go to some place. Don't try to go to one of the other 50 states because of a job or because of money and try to change the way those people do business. It's disrespectful. And frankly speaking, it's dishonorable. Don't do that. I mean, unless you've been there for like 10 years plus and you feel like there's something that needs to be fixed. I mean, obviously, if you if something needs to be fixed, then try to fix it. But trying to change entirely a, a state personality or a state identity, don't, don't, don't even do that. I've mentioned before, again, the scenario where, you know, who do you think knows better how to run Alaska? Do you think the people of Alaska know how to run Alaska, or do you think the people of Washington, D.C. know how to run Alaska? And obviously, Alaska knows how to run Alaska, so let them do it, and don't try to change those people up there and how they do it. Don't try to do it. Don't mess with them. Let them do what they do in Alaska, right? Because I mean, not very many people in the lower 48 understand Alaska, Really, they don't. Most people have never lived there. And honestly, I only ever lived there for a very short period of time, and I was fairly young when I was there. So do I understand Alaska? I probably understand it better than most, but I don't I don't I don't understand it as much as people who've lived there for a great long time. And so I leave it to I leave it to the people of Alaska to do what they do. And I would recommend everybody else around the country have the same opinion about the various states and, and how they do what they do. Now, some people might think I, I kind of dwell a little bit too much on this. I go on and on and on about it, but I haven't talked about this in quite some time. It just hasn't come up in the letters, but, you know, these th this diary entry from John Adams was just very, very much to the point. And like I said, there's a lot of people in, 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 this, in today's society, because of their 
you know, delicate sensibilities, they're going to be very offended by this concept of somebody who thinks that, quote, the morals of our people are much better, their manners are more polite and agreeable, and they are pure English, our language is better, our persons are handsomer, our spirit is greater, our laws are wiser, our religion is superior, our education is better, end quote. There's people that are going to be offended by somebody saying something like that. I'm not offended by it. If somebody if somebody says that uh, about a state that I don't live in, I'm fine with it. Frankly speaking, I don't care. I, I, I That's probably why they live in that state is because they think it's better. That's normal. Well, it used to be anyway. But again, people, you know, travel around the country chasing jobs and chasing money and all kinds of other stuff. So it's, it's not as true as it used to be. Sometimes people end up in a state and they absolutely hate it. They hate the state identity. They hate the people. And they try to change it. And they, they, the only reason they're there is for money, for work. And, you know, those people really ought to... Take a take a lesson from Mr. Adams here and, you know, quit just letting, you know, money drive your decisions as far as where you live. And instead, just find a place where you actually, you know, find find the people agreeable to you and, and move there and stay there and stay the heck out of these states that you don't like. If you don't like it, stay out. Just leave. Quit bothering the people that are there. Quit annoying them. You're not doing them any favors. As if you care. I'm assuming you care, but some people just don't care. They don't care about anybody else but themselves, which is why they end up moving to a state for work or for money and then trying to change the change the place that they moved into. This is a debate in this country today, by the way. I'm not going to get into the intricate policies. I could get into very specific detail about this, but I'm not going to because I don't do that. I'm just trying to make a point, and I'm just try- I'm trying to say to you, John Adams had these very same sentiments. This is a concept that's been kicked around in this country since before it was a country, and people think this is new. People think it's new that, oh my God, Gosh, people, you know, moving around the country, you know, and not, you know, not understanding state identity. This has been a thing for a while, except I think in 1774, people understood the differences between the colonies and they respected them. They, they looked at the other colonies and said, wow, you guys over there, you guys really do things a little bit different over there in Pennsylvania than we do in Massachusetts. But you know what? I respect Pennsylvania and your, your Quaker sensibilities or Presbyterian, Episcopal, whatever, what have you. I respect it, but it's not for me. I think my way, I think my religion is superior and I think, uh, I think our education is better and so on and so forth. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. And I think that's a refreshing message for Mr. Adams, don't you? Don't you think that's refreshing? I sure do. You know, and it's it's a refreshing message in part because it stands in stark contrast to some of what we hear today that, you know, disagreeing or th- thinking that your ways are better than somebody else's ways of doing things. Oh, you can't say that. You can't say it's better. Sure you can. Why not? Why can't you say that? Because they're going to say that their way of doing things is better, too. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. Like I said, as long as you can agree to disagree like reasonable people do, then what's the problem here? Like, for example, I mean, since we're on the topic of religion here with Mr. Adams, I mean, you could say you could have a Christian and a Muslim and a Jewish person all in the same room together, and each one of them thinks their religion is the right way to go. It's the better way to go. Of course, the Christian thinks, oh, Christianity is the best. It's the best way to go. You know, it's, we got the, you've got the book and the Bible and all the rest of it. Okay. And then the Jewish person says, no, 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 no. That whole New Testament thing, not really for me. I think the, the Judaism is the way to go, old-fashioned, Old Testament, and so on and so forth. Okay, great. And then the Muslim person's going to be like, oh, you, you two both got it wrong. You know, the Quran, everything, it's, it's a better way to go. It's the best. It's the best. You got you to gotta stick with the Quran. It's the best. What's wrong with that? And these three guys just agree to disagree. Okay, that's fine. You're going to agree to disagree. That's perfectly fine. You, you go with your thing. I'll go with my thing. And this other guy over here, he can go with his thing. And we're all happy. We can all work together. I don't mean to, I don't, it's not like, I'm not saying sing kumbaya, buy the world of coke and learn to sing in perfect harmony, but you get the idea. I mean, th- I think there's less and less of that going on today because there's, there's too much of a focus on, you know, I mean, people people do talk about diversity and, 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 you know, differences of opinions, but usually not in the right context. And uh, half the time it's, uh, it's you know, it's, I don't know, it's it's really seems to serve only one purpose, and that is to 
to, to divide people for some strange reason. I don't know why. I don't know why that seems to be a trend these days. So you know, in summary on this issue, you know, I'm going to say, you know, whatever state you live in, and whatever the identity of that state is, and obviously we have Mr. Adams here, and his his sentiments are that Massachusetts is the best because he understands Massachusetts. He lives there. He understands it. That's what he likes, and that's where he's going to stay. And it is. It's where he stays his whole life. He goes after the presidency. He goes right back to Massachusetts. And so, if you whatever state you live in, I would say, you know, take some time to understand the personality of that state historically. And, you know, what's the identity of that state? And learn to appreciate it or get out. Go find another state that does agree with your sensibilities and stay there. But, uh, you know, don't spend so much time trying to change the the states where you live. Because Mr. Adams, John Adams wouldn't have appreciated people coming into his state of Massachusetts from Pennsylvania and trying to and trying to change Massachusetts. He wouldn't have appreciated that one bit. And I can understand why. And I don't think the people of, Ma- people of Pennsylvania would have very much appreciated Mr. Adams coming in and trying to change Pennsylvania. I don't think Mr. Adams would try either. I think he'd probably have enough respect for Mr. Dickinson and his folks out there in Pennsylvania to uh, just let Pennsylvania be Pennsylvania and let Massachusetts be Massachusetts. But, you know, again, it just goes to show you that the, these battles over, you know, the differences between the states, this goes way back, doesn't it? It goes all the way back to the beginning, before the states were states, you know, back when the colonies were colonies. And that's fascinating. It's interesting to it's interesting to read this kind of stuff from Mr. Adams, his sentiments about that. He really liked Massachusetts and the way, the way, it, well, the way business was done there. And I like that about Mr. Adams. And I, I guarantee you the people of Pennsylvania thought Pennsylvania was the best. They probably would have, I mean, if, they, if Mr. Adams, if they had known Mr. Adams' sentiments, they probably would have said, oh, come on, you think you're education is better there in Massachusetts? No way. It's better here in Pennsylvania. That's where it's best. And they would have, they would have gone back and forth about that just kind of, and eventually just agreed to disagree. You know, I, yeah, I don't think so. Or maybe somebody would have been convinced of the contrary, but maybe not. And this, this kind of, you know, dovetails with what I said in the last few episodes about, you know, what, what country is the best in the world? It really depends on what your perspective is. Because even, even John Adams here says that, you know, as far as Pennsylvania goes, they're better in, in market and charitable public foundations. They're just better at that than, uh, Pennsylvania is better than that, better than Massachusetts in that regard. So it just depends on what your perspective is. It really does. What are you looking for in a place? But the, you know, the idea is, is to find a place that, that, that really agrees with you and, and build a life there to the extent possible and participate in that state identity or that national identity. I, I would say the same to people who come to the United States. You know, you, you come here and you want to be a part of this, fine. Figure, you know, learn about what the, the identity of the United States is historically and, and uh, comport yourself with that to the extent possible. So that pretty much sums that up. I, and I'm going to have some concluding remarks about this, uh, this particular episode and talk a little bit about the next episode of this podcast in the next section. So let's do that right now. All right. So, you know, this will fairly well conclude our discussions about the state identities for a while. You know, this is going to come up again. Look, this, these, I, these different, these differences of, I, you know, these different identities within the various colonies. They were, they were very different, you know, and, and we're going to get into the, there's going to be two more, at least two more discussions that I, that I've kind of written down to talk about later on. You know, when the states become states, you know, we need to talk about that again. And also this difference between northern states and southern states. Yes, you heard me say it. It's going to happen. There's going to be a discussion about it. Don't think I'm going to ignore that, by the way. Some people are probably wondering, when is he going to talk about the elephant in the room? In the room? When is he going to talk about those um, those southern states and uh, a particular thing that they had going at the time that was really uh, going to cause a problem oh, in about 80 years or so? 
Well, we're going to get to that, you know, and because, again, I, I've talked about this before. There are these different identities within the states and the colonies, more, more specifically, at this particular period of time. The, the United States of America has often had these two opposing ideas about how things are supposed to be. And there's a there's a very religious, you know, Puritan separatist kind of thing that, that really came in from the north in New England. And it was in the South a little bit too. And then there was a little bit of other things in the North. It wasn't just the Puritans and the Separatists up there. There was a lot of that though. And that was a lot of the beginning of this, uh, of the country up in the North. And then, you know, you have the country up in the North and then you have the country in the South. And then these things kind of come together and, you know, weave into the various colonies and eventually, you know, they form a, a single coherent nation. But those two things are in conflict for quite some time. And those different identities of those different states is really important. And before somebody goes out there and starts saying, you know, oh my gosh, Roman, are you saying that the, uh, you just got done talking about how the state identities shouldn't be changed, people shouldn't be moving there and changing. Are you trying to say that the, the identity of the southern states, you know, pre-1865 shouldn't have been changed? No, that's not what I'm saying. You got a whole different thing going on. There's a, there's a big difference between this thing that John Adams was talking about, these um, differences between Massachusetts and Pennsylvania as it pertained to religion and markets and charitable foundations and all the rest of it and a crime being committed against an entire group of people. There's a big difference. And when there's a crime being committed against an entire group of people, that's not so much a state identity as it is a crime, and that needs to be handled as, as such. So, so don't uh, don't let my uh, my comments here, you know, run away with you and say, oh my gosh, does he does he say the South, the South should have been preserved? No, not in the least. I, you know, as a personally, my mindset is much more closely aligned with a with an Abigail Adams and this um, almost Puritan origin that the people from that part of the colonies had at the, this particular period of time. Which is why I, I say over and over again how much I, I adore John Adams and how much I respect Abigail Adams. They, they are very much of a similar sensibility to myself as it pertains to things of this nature. Let's just put it that way. And especially Abigail Adams. That's, that's, in other words, I'd, I'd feel much more comfortable in, in a Boston, Massachusetts of 1774 than probably just about anywhere else. And if I was going to choose a place to live, that's probably where it would be. Just, just FYI. But that's that's just me personally. Everybody has their own feelings about these things. But no, I don't believe that the um, this particular thing about the southern states that really sticks in people's craw, and rightfully so, uh, should have been perpetuated in any meaningful way. No, it should have been should have been stamped out earlier than it was. But that there, there's reasons why it wasn't, and we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that because it does get talked about by the founding fathers, and it gets they try to address it. They didn't really address it well, in my in my opinion, but they try to address it. And yes, we're going to get into that at some point. And, you know, one of the things that doesn't get taught very often in history class, especially about the 1860s, for example, is that not every state supported the same things, right? They, they like to talk about the United States in like 1860, for example, as one monolithic country. And it was just one thing run by this big central federal government that was overpowering and dictating everything. And it knew everything that was going on in every state and controlled everything from border to border and from between state and state and blah, blah. That's that's not how it worked. The federal government was largely inconsequential. Wait, what? Yes, you heard me say it. The federal government back in the day was largely inconsequential. And you're going to hear me talk about this on the next episode, by the way. Uh, towards the um, towards the end of that episode, I've already got that episode largely recorded, by the way, which is very uncharacteristic. I mean, usually I record these things in order. But um, in this case, I I'm recording these episodes 
almost concurrently with one another. It's really interesting how I'm going back and forth between the two episodes, recording them almost at the same time. But you're going to hear me talk about this a little bit in the next episode, this um, this concept of this um, the central power and how it ought ought to be organized and how the Founding Fathers envisioned it and how it was created versus what it has turned into. See, people look at the 1860s and they look at the, the colonies and the, the states between you know, 1787 and 1860 as being like what they see in the United States today. And it wasn't. It was not the same country, but it was almost a different country. It wasn't, but it almost was. You you wouldn't recognize it in many ways. And I'm not just talking about the time period and the fact that people were doing horse and buggy back then and people, we got highways and cars now. I'm talking about from a government perspective. Did you know it used to be fairly routine for people to walk into the White House and ask to speak to the President of the United States? I, I read a book one time, and honestly, I can't even remember the name of the book. That's a sad commentary. This was this was a, quite a few years ago. It was about the assassination of President Garfield, of all things. And there, the, the guy who shot him was actually in the White House at one point, as I recall. But anyway, during that particular period of time, they described this in the book, actually, that there were, there were people who would try to get meetings in the White House. Ordinary citizens, just random people, um, trying to, showing up at the White House, knocking on the door, you know, trying to trying to get a meeting with the president or trying to trying to find a job in the federal government, something like that. Anyway, it was a different place back then. You try to do that today. I mean, I mean, heck, try to try to get a meeting with your senator or your congressman. Good luck with that. It's it was a different place back then. Okay, you gotta understand that if you're gonna understand what transpired between 1780s and the 1860s, and this whole concept of state identities plays a big role, and that's why I've spent a little bit of time talking about it. I'm laying the groundwork for something that's going to come later. You might wonder why is he constantly going on about the state identities and the the John Adams and his his love of Massachusetts, and he didn't like Pennsylvania, and the people of Pennsylvania were very very different, and they did things differently, and blah 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 blah. There's a reason for this, folks. Believe it or not, there's a logic to this madness. And that's why I say oftentimes, don't try not to let TLDR set in, because it's going to be very easy in some of these episodes to just let TLDR set in and just kind of cruise past it and ignore it and just, oh, let's move on. He's talking about nothing today. I don't know. Pretty much everything I talk about on this podcast, I think, is very important, and I hope you agree. And like I said, in the, in the next episode, we got something good coming coming your way. I think it's going to be another good discussion, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to move beyond just the state identity thing, and it's going to segue into something a little bit deeper, I think. Perhaps I don't know about deeper, but it's gonna it's gonna punctuate that discussion a little bit and finish it off for at least a time, and then we're gonna come back to it uh, much much later on. Uh, it's probably maybe a year before we come back to it, but you know we'll come back to it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I really do. I think uh, I think we're gonna be continuing to put out some good episodes here for you, and I try to do the best work that I can to build a good product for you. And I take a great deal of time to invest into this podcast because I think it's worth it. You know, if I didn't think it was worth it and I didn't think you folks were, you know, worth, you know, worth my time or investment, you know, here as part of our study group, then I, I simply wouldn't do the podcast. But um, the the hours that I put in here are really uh, just to, you know, more or less just to build a good product so that we can we can study this together. And I, I know that you dedicate a lot of your time to listening to the podcast and I thank you so very much for it. You know, I again, I, I really appreciate that dedication of time. It doesn't escape me that you spend, like if it's an hour-long episode, you spend an hour in your car, driving to work, coming back from work, whatever, listening to the podcast, or just listening in your house, listening at work, whatever you do. And that's a, that's a big deal to me. I, I don't take it for granted. Uh, every single hour I put into this podcast, I think to myself, you know, you know those folks are you know giving up their time to study this material, so I, I can surely give up some of my time to produce this content. 
and I'm happy to do it. So thank you so much for for giving uh, this podcast a listen. I hope to see you on the next episode, which is going to, I think, be a, a good episode. Actually, the... the uh, Forgive me. the uh, The next episode is going to be a short form episode. the The one I'm talking, the one I mentioned earlier, that's going to that's going to punctuate this episode a little bit and talk a little bit more about the central power and the executive. That's going to be the episode after. I keep thinking in terms of uh, long form episodes. That other episode that I'm recording here today is going to be uh, next Monday's episode, a long form episode. We're going to have a different topic to to discuss on. The Thursday podcast uh, this week. It's going to be a short form episode, just a brief discussion. Uh, not not entirely related to this topic. It's going to be, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe somewhat related, but not really. It's going to be a different topic. So uh, either way, on that episode and on the next episode, I look forward to seeing you here. And with that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. <laughs>